I'm coming this morning to Lamentations chapter 3. If you'll find your place in God's Word, if you go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, the very next book there, the book of Lamentations, and we're going to suspend our study of the Gospel of John just for this, uh, this morning. I felt to speak of a, thanks, not a Thanksgiving, a New Year's promise. And we find here some precious, precious verses in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21. A New Year's promise. I want us to guide our thoughts there. Lamentations is a collection of funeral poems written by the prophet Jeremiah after the Babylonians had taken his people in captivity. The city has been destroyed. The holy city of God is lying in ruins. The temple is destroyed. All around him is the smoldering ruin and rubble of the glorious temple laying in waste. His heart is broken for over 40 years. In the 50th year of his ministry, the destruction came. He prophesied, sent from God, that God would send judgment to his people bent on sin and idolatry. And that they would not repent, they would not come. And so uh, Jeremiah saw the fulfillment of the word that God gave him. And that is the background of his writing of the book of Lamentations, these funeral poems, these funeral messages, if you will. He sees all around him the, the wailing of people as their brightest and best of their young people have been taken captive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, he was contemporary to all of them, and he's weeping and wailing as he sees the city of God lying in waste. But in the midst of all the destruction and the disciplining hand of God, he sees this precious Precious promises. When I call to mind there, he writes in verse 21. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. What a precious, precious promise. And then he ends in verse 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord bless his word to us this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come knowing that these words are inspired of the Holy Spirit of God and that you preserved them down to this very moment for our learning and admonition. Lord, we live in dark days. While the ruins of our nation are not literally around us, they are figuratively and spiritually lying in waste. We see the foundations being destroyed. Oh, Lord, great is the the sin all around us. We see dark days. We need a ray of light. We need a promise from your word. And we see that even in judgment, there's mercy. Even in the disciplining hand of God, there's great grace. And we thank you for this reminder this morning. We pray that this would be an encouragement to us as we stand on the brink, on the shore of a brand new year. We do not see the end of the horizon of the journey that we're about to embark on. As we end this one, by your grace, as we begin afresh and anew, as we board the ship this morning of the the year that waits before us, we know not what harbors that ship may land, We know not what storms our ship may endure, but this we know, that there is a God in heaven, that your word is steadfast and sure, and with you in the boat it cannot sink. 
And we pray, Lord, as you send us forth, even as you sent your disciples in days of old, to go to the other side. If you send us, then you'll bring us safely home. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Lord, bless your word to us. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Jeremiah was both a priest and a prophet. He was the son of a priest from a little village about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. He was known as the weeping prophet because of the predictions that God gave him that Babylon would invade Judah. Israel is divided at this time into Judah and Israel. God is dealing with Judah and he tells through his prophets. He's a contemporary with Isaiah and he tells his prophets to give to his people the message that if they do not turn from their idolatry, I will send a marauder, I will send a conqueror. He even names them in his prophecy in Jeremiah who it will be, the, the feared Babylonians. They will come and lay waste your nation. Because of his message of the coming judgment of God, he was threatened. He was tried for his life. He was put in stocks. He was forced to flee from King Jehoiakim and was publicly humiliated by a false prophet and thrown into prison, all for doing what God told him to do. The message of God is not always popular, and the judgment of God never is, and yet it is as much a part of the biblical revelation as the love of God, the mercies of God. If you would envision God and his attributes as a great gemstone, perfectly faceted on every side, you must keep in mind that none of God's attributes outweigh his other attributes. They all are in perfect harmony and none will violate the other. That's why God must judge sin, why a Savior was absolutely necessary, and that only God can be just when He justifies the believing sinner. Some would point to the mercy and the love of God and dwell on that theme and leave out the rest of the message that sin that is not dealt with will be judged, but that God is a great God of mercy and love and tenderness and So for 40 years, Jeremiah's brought the unwelcomed message to God's people that you are a stiff-necked people, that you're filled with pride, you're invaded with idols. The leading idol of the day was the idol of Moloch, a brazen image of the false god Moloch with outstretched arms, brazen, heated white hot, and they would offer their firstborn as sacrifices fried in the hands of Moloch. Sin was rampant. These were the people who had the revelations of God. They knew God's word and yet had rejected it for falsehoods and for lies. They loved the false prophets that told them what they wanted to hear, that made them feel good. And here comes Jeremiah saying, if you do not repent, Jehovah, who, yes, is rich in mercy, will judge you. He will use a nation to come and to destroy you and to take your children, the best of the young people, the teenagers, captive, and to take them away. And as Isaiah is lamenting here, these lamentations, as Jeremiah is lamenting, crying, seeing what God told him would happen, literally taking place. He's weeping. 
His eyes are filled with tears, as you can imagine, the smoke rising, the glorious temple, Solomon's temple laying waste. His ministry covers some 50 years. All around him was a decadent, decaying nation. This sounds very up to date, does it? Doesn't it? And we dare not say America's Israel in any way, form or fashion. But I will just say this. That God deals with individuals. He deals with us one on one. We see through the biblical record that he deals with nations as well. And the Bible tells us, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. When God is in authority, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. He saw his nation decaying. Totally given over to idolatry. Even to the point of, as I've mentioned, the, the sacrificing of their children. At least... Lest I saw some of you cringe at that thought. Do you know that millions of babies are sacrificed in this nation? Every year, the, the number grows of those who are sacrificed through the horrible, horrible, torturous sin of abortion. We're no different. We may be more perfumed and, and we may more have, we'll make it, put a better face on it. We may legalize things, but it's no different than the sins of, of Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah lived at the same time as Daniel and and Ezekiel, we tend to think when we read the scripture that there's just one prophet at a time prophesying. If you're just reading straight through the Bible, you read Isaiah's prophecy, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, but you fail to remember that these guys were ministering at the same time to different parts of God's nation. Jeremiah fervently warned of God's pending judgment. Every day he warned God's people that judgment was coming trying to turn his people back to God, knowing the mercy of God, knowing that God was long-suffering, that he loved to bless those who repented. He knew what God would do and could do if his people would obey. But not only is this theme of the impending, or the pending judgment of God, the theme of, of Jeremiah's message, but also a secondary fervent theme is, of his preaching was the, the willingness of God to spare and to bless his repenting people. The background to the book of Lamentations is that Jeremiah is an eyewitness to the destruction of the once glorious city of God. Remember the, the psalm that says, beautiful for situation, the, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of our great king. And while that, of course, has... Uh, reference to heaven and the new Jerusalem and the kingdom to come. It was referring also to the glorious city of God, Jerusalem, here on earth. In a pile of rubble, the walls wasted, the towers, the houses, the palaces, and even the, the, the beautiful, glorious, unequaled temple of Solomon. All was in a smoldering ruin. No wonder he's crying. No wonder he is lamenting the loss of these things. For 40 years, he's been the warning, uh, crying siren from God, from heaven, of this very day. And even as God's prophet, he did not delight in his message or the, the fact that it, he was verified and that God did do exactly what he said. There was no joy in that except in God's holiness and his righteousness, but Remember, Jeremiah is feeling all of this and going through all this with the Lord's people as well. Lamentations describes poignantly 
of the, the bitter results of the suffering, the sorrow, the destruction of Jerusalem's devastation. Tucked away in the midst of all of this, of these funeral poems that some have called these chapters in Lamentations, Jeremiah reminds himself and in God's people of the mercies of God. Verse 21, if you'll look there, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Here we have the recipe, if you will, for fostering hope. Do you need hope this morning? Who does not need hope as we look around us? And I'm not going to catalog the sins of our nation, though I would be justified in doing so. I'm more concerned about the house of God than the White House, however. I'm more concerned about God's people because I know that Peter tells us judgment must begin at the household of God, at your house, in this house. And then that judgment, when we have judged and dealt with sin, personal and corporate sin and familial sin, and do the right thing and put away those things that God has commanded us, then we can draw near to God, the, the, James tells us, and He will draw near to you. Jeremiah says, I recall, I remember. Aren't you glad for those who have a good memory? In every family, there's a historian. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. But they remember everything. And some things that the rest of us really wonder if that happened at all. I'm the fourth of five, and my older siblings would often tell me, when they were regaling themselves about when we lived on the farm, before we moved to town, and all those glorious days before I was born, they would often say they'd be talking about something, and I would pipe up, and they'd say, oh, that that was before you were ever thought of. You had nothing to do with that. And then they'd go on to tell, and then they would tell things uh, when I was, you know, a little toddler, just this holiday season, this is the time when we, these things happen. A family friend came up to me and said, I heard about, and he told something that I supposedly did as a little boy. And I said, well, I'm not totally convinced that happened. And he said, oh, I have it on good authority from your your oldest sister. She's a historian of our family. And uh, he began to tell me, and I laughed and said, well, it, it probably happened. I have no memory of it, but let's just say that it did. But aren't you glad there are those who can recall That God always has his messengers, his men, his preachers to call us back to the basics. And at the end of this year, I, I just want to assemble us together this morning. And for us to recall, as Jeremiah said, you know what I have recalled, I've called to mind. It's as if he has searched the memory and the catalog of his mind and said, you know what I remember hearing? I recall to mind these things and because of that, I have hope. Hope is the most precious thing that we have as God's people. We base all that we believe today on the hope of God's word. Now, please know that hope in the scriptures is not the hope that most people use, the terminology. You may have plans tomorrow And you hope it doesn't rain and storm as they tell us it's supposed to. So your hope is a sentiment, circumstantial. You have no authority. You have no ability to change it. But you're holding to that it's going to be a certain way against all odds that it might be something else. That's not hope in the scriptures. 
Hope in the scriptures is the assurance that something is going to come pass, come to pass, whether it has or not, whether you feel like it or not, or whether anybody else on earth believes it or not. Just go ask Noah. Just ask those who've had hope that what God said he would bring to pass. Hope to God's people is not sentimentalism. It's not some wishful thing, that some dream that you may have for retirement or some hope that you are nurturing that things could be a certain way and you're hoping for that. Hope in the scripture is based on the veracity of God himself. And that's why Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, in the midst of all this ruin and uh, decadence in the destruction, he weeping along with the rest of God's people, said, you know, I recall, I'm just recalling some things today. Because of that, I have hope. Here we have the recipe for forfeiting uh, all that, that would come against us, the lies that Satan would bring against us, and for fostering hope and increasing our faith. It is recalling or rehearsing to ourselves the Word of God. That's why it's so absolutely important for you to do this daily. To rehearse what God has said so that your soul can be fed and nourished and have the clearness of mind and the assurance that what God has said he, He's going to do, He will bring to pass. The blessed man's delight, I remind you, is in the law of the Lord. And in His law does He meditate. When? Every once in a while, at Christmas and Easter, day and night. This rehearsing, this recalling to our minds the Word of God gives us hope. All throughout God's Word, we're told to remember. God tells us, remember? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Exodus 13, 3, remember the day that you came out of Egypt? Remember the day that I redeemed you? Child of God, do you remember that day when He brought you out of Egypt into glorious light, when the light of the gospel dawned on you, that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us? When it dawned on you that it is all of faith and based on the person work of Jesus Christ, and you were translated, taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His own Son, don't forget the day you were brought out of Egypt. It is said that George Mueller, that man of amazing faith who fed, started, or he asked the Lord when he was converted from a horrible lifestyle, a young man, he squandered every dime his father gave him. He went, father sent him off to school. He didn't go to school. He played. He partied all day and all night. He was an absolute heartbreak to his father. But attending a Bible study, which he went for dubious reasons, just to hang out, just to be with someone. He came under the, 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 the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit opened his heart and mind to salvation by, by grace through faith in Christ alone. And he'd lived so notoriously sinful that he asked the Lord, if you could use me for your honor and glory, I want to do something that when people look at it, that the only person who, who could it all get credit for it would be you, Lord. I want you to put me in such a hard place, such a narrow place, 
that I must depend on you every moment. That I cannot look to the hand of man to provide one thing for me. That I will look solely to the hand of God to do great and mighty things. And God raised up George Mueller to start orphanages. And in his lifetime, he fed and clothed thousands and thousands of children. He never once let his needs be known. He never sent out a newsletter telling people to pray about this or that. I'm not saying that's wrong to do. I'm just telling you what George Mueller did. He, he purposefully put himself in that narrow place to prove to all the gainsayers and to everyone that there is a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer down to the very moment. And I said all that to say this on George Mueller's study where he saw it every day, the verse from Deuteronomy 5.15, remember, you were a servant. Remember, you were a slave one time. Remember, you, were, you had no hope had God not delivered you. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Remember all the way the Lord led you. Look back over this year. Whoa. Day by day, and with each passing moment, Jesus has led us to this very hour, hasn't he? And if he would roll back the veil of the unseen and show us as it really was that we don't even know how he stood for us and guarded us and guided us and helped us. And here we are this morning. Remember the way the Lord led thee. First Chronicles sixteen twelve. Remember his marvelous works. Psalm 25, verse 6, Remember thy mercies, they have been of old. Ecclesiastes 12, 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Revelation 3, verse 3, We're taught to remember how we have received. All that we have, we have received. Here then is the secret of revival. Do you need reviving this morning? Do you need a touch from heaven, do you need to be prompted to be moved? I'm not talking about emotionally, where you can go home and say, oh, that was a good service. I like that song. I felt moved in, in my heart and mind. I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit of God verifies something to your heart and mind. That there is a God in heaven of being revived, of encouragement, of hope for a vital living faith. A faith like George Mueller's. A faith like Jeremiah's. Verse 21, I want you to look there. This I recall to my mind. That's why I have hope. Why are people hopeful? They recall to mind what God has said. These are not just fairy tales. These are not just pretty sayings that people have collected. This is the very word of God to his people. Notice this is a personal work I recall to my mind. There's nothing standing between you and revival but you. No person, no circumstance, no situation. As we've already mentioned, the Bible says draw near to God, He will draw near to you. That's a, that's a for lack of better words, that's the deal that God speaks this is a promise. This is an arrangement God has made. You draw near to me. You come up close to me. 
Guess what? I'll draw near to you. The creator and sustainer of the universe has vouchsafed that he would do that very thing. The relentless sorrow over Judah's judgment drove Jeremiah to consider the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. And so that leads us to ask, what is it that Jeremiah recalls to mind? Where did he go in the scripture? What is he recalling about God that gave him hope, that revived him? In verse 22, he tells us, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. This Hebrew word for mercies is used about 250 times in the Old Testament. It refers to God's gracious love. In the New Testament, the, 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 the synonym for it would be grace, no doubt. It is a comprehensive word, though, that not any one word truly defines it. When you say the mercies of God, and notice that they are plural, there's so much to it that it's not one thing. The mercies of God, His love, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His forgiveness, His truth, His compassion, His faithfulness, all of those are components, if you will, under that umbrella term, mercies. That's what Jeremiah is contemplating. His mercies are always, let me remind us this morning, always, always, always undeserved, unmerited. There's not a person, not even Jeremiah himself, and no one in this assembly who could say, you know, I've had a blessed year, and quite frankly, I deserve every bit of it. Some may live that way. But I want you to know we don't deserve one single mercy from the Lord. Who can say that they deserve these manifold blessings that that we've been showered with? His mercies are always undeserved. They're always unmerited, unearned. In this time of darkness, this spiritual apathy, the idolatry, uh, in both individually and, and collectively failure all around God's prophet reminds his people. They don't deserve to be reminded of the mercies of God. They have sinned sinned high-handedly against Jehovah. They have defied his prophets prophets that God has sent them. They have brought in idols and despicable things as I've described to you. We could go on. You don't even want to hear about it into the very worship of God. They deserve nothing from Jehovah God's prophet reminds his people about the mercies of God. He has preached for 40 years God's judgment. It was unheeded, unappreciated, and was not acted upon. And so, as the ruins are all about, and the the chains that tie their young people, their teenagers, they're taken captive. Can you imagine the moaning and the wailing of the parents and the grandparents as their young people are taken to Babylon to be absorbed in the vast Babylonian empire. There goes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, the best and the brightest to be brainwashed and used in the government of Babylon. Wailings of the mothers. Can you hear the torment of the people? They're helpless and utterly, absolutely can do nothing about what is happening to them. And Jeremiah says... I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In a time of deserved judgment for blatant rebellion and immorality, they were called spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. Their gross sin, God's people are reminded of his faithfulness and yea, his willingness, his desire to bless them. Oh, what a gift. What a reminder at the end of this year as we could look back and focus on the failures and we can all do that today. It is healthy to do that to a degree. I'm not one to whitewash and as the psychologists tell you, don't dwell on that. Yeah, I think you should think about your failures. It's called sin. It's called not using your abilities that God has given you. There are all kinds of things you could call it, but we can look back on those failures this year and all the could have been's and should have been's as these people, no doubt, were rehearsing. But I call you away from all of that. And I call you to look away to the faithfulness of God and His willingness to bless. Why? What a question. Why? Why would Jehovah still want to bless Israel after they've done all that? I ask you a more perplexing question this Lord's Day morning. Why would He want to bless us? Why has He blessed us? Why do we still have the gospel so freely available to preach and to tell to others and enjoy and to lean upon and to comfort our souls in these hours of darkness? Why is God willing to forgive and bless? I tell you, it's because God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who binds Himself to the covenants that He makes to His people. He exalts His Word above His own name. And forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. That's why He said He would do it. That's why. Oh, the veracity, the truthfulness, the binding Blessing of God's holy, infallible word. God has spoken. It is so. Amen. So be it. God's mercies are detailed. They are enumerated. They are cataloged and issued to us by his word. How would we know what a blessing to claim? How would we know about the promises of God? The sure mercies of God. The mercies of David. The mercies that are the theme of our song. How would we know that great is His faithfulness and knew every morning His mercies come to us if we didn't read His Word to know that that's exactly what He says? We have a duty and a privilege to recall and rehearse these very mercies. As a New Year's promise, I want us to do just that this morning for just a few moments. I want us to note three truths about the mercies of God. We could spend 3,000 years on each one of them, but we won't. Three truths. First, that the Lord's mercies are multiplied. They are many. They're not just one. It's not just salvation, although that would be enough for now and to take us to heaven. His mercies are manifold. They are multiplied. And then secondly, that the Lord's mercies are a result or flow out of His faithfulness. And thirdly, that the Lord's mercies are our inheritance. 
Now your ears perk up when I talk about an inheritance. Jeremiah is contemplating the inheritance that he has now and that awaits him. First of all, we see that the Lord's mercies are multiplied. They are many. We've already looked at the word mercy, that it, it covers a, a comprehensive, a vast number of things. There are simply one blessing, but they are they're plural. There are many. Mercies are not singular. We see there in verse 22. Compassions. Have you noticed it's not his compassion fails not, but that his compassions, plural, fail not. We we're noted that the multifaceted meaning of the word mercy, it is bulging and bursting with components and departments. It covers all the needs of the heart, and the mind, and the soul. It is love, it is grace, it is mercy, it is goodness, it is forgiveness. It's all your soul will ever need. And truth and compassion and faithfulness. What else could a soul need? Some of you got that one other gift that you already have ten of. You did not need it. But when God gives a gift, it's exactly what the soul needs because He knows what we have need of. You may be like Jeremiah this morning. Surviving the rubble of your life. You may be aching from a the disciplining hand of God, or you may be the victim of the consequences of your own high-handed rebellion as his contemporaries were, or after years of warning and sitting under gospel preaching and pleading from the Lord and his messengers to repent and to return and to trust and obey, you may be the receiver of the effects of someone else's choices. But I will tell you this morning, whatever your circumstances are, may I give you Jeremiah's consolation. It's not mine. It is not mine to give. I did not write it. I did not devise it or come up with it. Jeremiah told God's people as they saw their children deported and their nation destroyed and their their valuables, their inheritance taken away. Listen, folks, that's not our inheritance. The Lord himself is our inheritance. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Praise the Lord for his variegated, multiplied mercies, unlimited, unceasing, all-sufficient grace that I want you to know today, if you don't remember anything else to say, it is available to you today. It is at hand. It is for the asking. Take a deep breath. Would you, would you just breathe in deeply? Stop and think soberly. Whatever your circumstances are, and I do not mean to demean them in any way. I do not know the aching of your heart or the world that you live in. I know mine, and it's enough to, to contemplate for this one person. I know the failures, the sins, the, the lack, the, all of the, the things of hu human life. And I would not begin to compare myself with you, but I know one thing, we're all sinners on this globe that is spinning toward eternity. I know that. I know that not one household here is exempt from grief or sadness or deprivation or sickness or illness or all those things that are common to the human condition. And so, no, I don't know how you feel. 
And I would not begin to insult you and enter in and say, oh, I know what you're that's like. I don't. But I do know this. That whatever our circumstances are, no matter how dark it has been, we are not consumed. Someone might say, and I'm sure there were those as Jeremiah was giving this message, not consumed, we might as well be. There goes our family, our businesses, our livelihood is gone. Our nation is gone. What do we have? I'm glad you asked that question. What do we have? We have the Lord. We've not been consumed. We could be in the flames of hell this morning. We deserve it. Every one of us. We are not consumed. I just ask you to take a deep breath. Whatever your circumstances are, you're alive. There is hope. The sun came up today. There is a God in heaven. He's working His sovereign will. And though it's dark around us, it's decadent. The foundations are crumbling. I agree. And I am grieved by it. But I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Many are, look around you, there are many that are consumed, absolutely overwhelmed. Countless ones around us, circumstances have flooded many They've ransacked their lives, but praise the Lord, we're not consumed. The boat may be taking on water, but as long as the Lord is in the boat, it cannot sink. The disciples learned that, didn't they? We praise His name that things are as well as they are with us. Have you thought about that? Oh, Brother Lamb, I've lost so much this year. When I look at the ledger of my life, I have lost so much, I've given up so much. But praise the Lord that things are as well as they are. We do not deserve it. We didn't deserve those things that were taken away from us. Could any of those people, as they saw their children being deported, say, those are mine? No, the Lord loaned them to us, didn't He? The life that you have is on loan to you. And God will recall it when He desires to recall it. My times are in His hands. We don't understand it considering all the variables and the possible circumstances, but we are not consumed. He could consume us in His wrath this morning and we would be deserving of it. But as sad as we are, as overwhelmed by grief as we may be, as as bleak as our human circumstances may be, we are not consumed. We're not in a war-ravaged country as as there are refugees all over the world. We're not, as some Christians are, in prison for preaching the Word of God. Yes, it's dark. Yes, I'm grieved. But, praise His name, we're not consumed. Paul testified to the Corinthians, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man is perishing. Yes, just go look in the mirror. We watched family videos over the holidays. Don't do that. I had hair and it was dark. Big horn-rimmed glasses that... The kids laughed at. And the grandkids said, who is that? That's me. Hush, that's me. 
Who is the stranger sitting next to Khaki? That's your grandfather. That's me. The outward man is perishing, isn't it? And we saw in those videos, parents and grandparents and loved ones who are long gone to the other side. Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding Wait, an eternal wait of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. Temporary. On loan. Wearing out. Decaying. Will one day be on the rubble of life. The things which are seen are temporary. But the things that are not seen, these mercies, the truths of God's word, are eternal. They have no end. God's mercies never end. Spurgeon notes here, it is true that God's people are a tried people. But it's equally true that God's grace is equal to their trials. It is quite true that though through much tribulation we will enter the kingdom, but then they do enter. And the thought of the kingdom that is coming sustains them in their present tribulation. They wade through the waters of woe, often breast deep, but the billows do not and shall not go over them. They shall still be able to sing, even in the midst of the tempests. Imitate Jeremiah, he advises And if you can find no comfort in your present outward circumstances, meditate upon the unfailing mercies of God. Jeremiah looked around him. He saw the outward, and the outward was overwhelmingly bleak. It was not pretty. It was not a pretty sight. The smoldering ruins of a destroyed, once glorious society. The apple of God's eye, the very people of God, Israel. Divided nation, divided homes, the deportation of their children, the loss of property, the displacement, the poverty. What are we going to do? We have no hope. Nothing to outwardly cheer But then we need to remind ourselves that no outward present condition is eternal. Possessions will not last. Family ties that are as precious as anything you can imagine are broken, aren't they? As loved ones are called away. Life here is bittersweet at best. At a wedding, we... we, Smile and sing and we cry. At the birth of a baby, we, we rejoice, but we weep also for all the sorrow and the, 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 what that child will face. The best of our celebrations are clouded by tears. And so we must look somewhere else. And that's not Washington, D.C., folks. That's not to a new political agenda. It's not to... The arm of man, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. 
Where do we look? We remind ourselves of the multiplied mercies of God. Is it love that you need today? His mercy, that's part of His mercy. God's fatherly love outlasts an earthly father's love. We earthly fathers will one day be gone, but the father's love is eternal. Is it grace you need today? God's forgiveness? Let me tell you, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is it truth that you need today? I've heard so many lies. I don't know what to believe. I hear so many voices. I don't know what's true. The eternal verities that you can cast your soul upon are found in this book while, while the sinking sand of this decaying society ebbs away all around us. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Look away from the present to the eternal From the seen to the unseen. Does your soul need saving today? Someone has come into the the preaching of the gospel today and you're lost. You do not know what it means to have sins forgiven and cleansed. Jesus stands ready to cleanse you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a message today. In this day of decadence and sin, Jesus Christ can set you free. He is a Savior. He's near at hand. He's even at the door. Whosoever will come. He said, all that will come to me, I will not cast out. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. The rest of the soul. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. And His compassions fail not. Not only are God's mercies plural they're, and they are multiplied, but I want us to recall that they are a result of God's own faithfulness. Look there in verse 23. They are new every morning. And praise the Lord, morning means night has passed, doesn't it? Whatever yesterday had or was, this morning a whole new boatload of God's mercies have come our way. His mercies are new every morning and over and over and over and over. Endless, eternal mercies, unending, always renewing. Like the manna of old, they come with the sunrise of each day. Did you need grace yesterday? Grace is sufficient, was sufficient for yesterday. There's a whole new supply today so that we could ask for our daily bread. I mean, I ate yesterday alone enough for a week. But you know what? I was hungry this morning when I woke up. And I went to the refrigerator and guess what? All those leftovers of this and that. I, my, I needed to, And you know what? Tomorrow I'll wake up and guess what? I'll need nourishment. But my soul needs that nourishment as well. And Spurgeon notes, there are no gray hairs upon the angel of the covenant. No wrinkles upon his brow. His mercy is as old as eternity and is ever God's darling attribute. Yet it is always young and active and bright and fair. Mercy is not a tree that yields its fruit just once a year. The mercy of God is like the tree of life in the Bible which bears its fruit every month. At all times, at all seasons, we may have a share of the compassions of God and we shall find that they are new every morning. Notice that Jeremiah tells us when they are new. Morning by morning. Morning ends the night. While we slept or tossed upon 
our beds and we're tortured by the rocks in our beds of doubts and fears and, and failures and, and grief and need, God was awake. Did you know that? Our help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The creator who made us stayed awake all night, watching over us, and has awakened us with his manna. New mercies for today's needs. He that keeps Israel, guess what? Neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. Even from this time forth. Even forevermore. That's the security of the believer and the perseverance of God's people. The Lord's mercies are multiplied. They're variegated. They're many. The Lord's mercies are faithful. They're just as faithful as He is because He and His Word cannot be divorced. They cannot be separated. And lastly, the Lord's mercies are our inheritance. We see there in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. That's my lot. My inheritance is what I have. Therefore, will I hope in Him, not in me, not in you, or in my circumstances, or in my job, or my savings. My hope is in the Lord who gave Himself for me. Psalm 16, verse 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Think of that. The Lord keeps all of our affairs in order. He maintains it. He watches over it. My portion is from the Lord and is maintained by Him. You may be praying that your stockbroker, your investor knows what he's doing and is keeping his eye on what you've got invested. I read recently one of the richest women in the world who had dealt with a an investor for years and years and years and recommended to all of her friends, made off with millions and millions of dollars. your, Your hope is not in this world system because it will fail at some point. There's so many variables on any given day. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are falling to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Jeremiah 10, verse 16, in his prophecy, he said, The portion of Jacob is not like them, the false gods, that who infiltrated Israel, who could do nothing. They were just graven images. The God of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former. He, he makes all things. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Our part is to trust confidently, as he says there in verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. That word wait is not sitting in a rocking chair waiting for someone to come pick you up. I remember as a little boy, we'd be waiting for some visitor to come, grandmother to come, and we're just waiting, waiting. No, the word waiting there is to look in anticipation for the Lord to do what he said he would do. It's looking very faithfully and steadily toward him who's, Mercies fail not. The Lord is 
good for them that wait on him. And then the latter part of that verse gives us added information about it to the soul that seeketh for him. Let me give you a promise that will take you throughout all of 2016. All that seek me shall find me. I'm a person that seeks after certain things. I have certain things I like to find. And people often ask me, how did you find that old book? Where did you find that? How did you come across that? You know what my answer is? I was looking for it. God promises that all that seek him shall find him. Are you seeking the Lord today? You may not even know that's what you're seeking. I'm here. I just came. I don't know why I'm here today. Do you know that God is always before you, planning your steps? He's always way, way, way light years ahead of where you will ever be. Weaving the the tapestry of His sovereign will. He causes you to seek Him and you find one day that He was seeking you all the way, all the while. Do you want to know him? That's a sure sign that God has begun to work in your hearts. Do you want his salvation? Do you want the sure mercies of David? Do you want these mercies that fail not and his compassions that are, that are bountiful and that are new every morning? That desire is God-given. The Bible tells us all that seek me will find me. Have you sought him out in faith and childlike faith? The Lord said, unless you come to me as a little child, full of belief and not doubting, taking you at at your word. God's word said that whoso calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In your situation, wherever you are, if you're not saved, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you can call upon him in faith believing and your hope will be steadfast and sure. It is... The Lord's mercy is that we're not consumed. We're still here. There's hope. You may be lost. The fact that you've been kept alive till you could hear the gospel. What a mercy of God that is. Because His compassions fail not. My best day, my best intentions, I fail. I will fail you. I don't want to, but I know at some point, at some way, in some situation, I will fail. But... God has a track record that is absolutely impeccable. Every promise He's given is true and will be fulfilled. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to our heart like nothing else. We thank you that your mercies are multiplied, that they're many, that they're in the plural. We thank you that your mercies result are a result of your faithfulness. That's who you are. And that they are our inheritance. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, Lord, I pray that you would bless your word as you always do. That you would open the hearts of those who may need 
your salvation and they would just reach out to you just now by faith and say, Lord, I receive this gift. I receive you as my Lord, my ruler. Rule over me. Lord, I've, I've ruled my life and called the shots. I'm so tired of that. You come in and take over and rule me and lead me and guide me. And I rejoice in your promise. I take you at your word. Lord, to those who, who needed a word of encouragement, I pray that they would take this as their watchword for this year. That your mercies are new every day. Your compassions fail not. We ask you to meet every need in your house today. In Jesus' precious name.